Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's 1234 in Edmonton. This is Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. We want to tell you that guests on our show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff that Oilers Now sent you. This text made me chuckle. So I... Um, um, actually, two texts. We'll get one that made me chuckle and then one that I'm, I, I guess I kind of have to address a little bit here. Randy out of Brooks, Alberta has texted the show, Bob, getting old sucks. When I turned 20, I got Peter Lougheed, Brian Mulroney, Glenn Sather, and a Stanley Cup team. When I turned 50, I got Notley, Justin Trudeau, Peter Shirelli, and a decade-long playoff drought from Randy in Brooks, Alberta. That's uh, that's kind of like that song, Boy Inside the Man by Tom Cochran. All right, you can text us at 630-630. Tweet us at Oilers Now. Um, Steve has texted the show to say, Hey, Bob, is it true that Keith will not be the GM of the Oilers? Sorry if you mentioned it in the beginning of the first part of the show. Uh, I do not believe that Bob Nicholson has finalized anything at this stage. I'll just leave it at that. Um, is it possible that Keith Gretzky becomes the next GM? Maybe, but there's a lot of really good candidates. But I put it this way. I don't think he's been told he's not the GM, but I don't know where it's at. So if somebody else reported that, they are entitled to report it. And I'm not going to sit here and say they're 100% wrong, but I believe that the process is still open. Let's go to Louis DeBras joining us from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Louis, how you doing? Hello, Louie. Oh, wait, Louie, hold on. i got to turn up the right button. There we go. Louie, how are you? I'm doing well, Bob. How are you doing today? Good. Do you know who Keith Gretzky stepped up and drafted uh, with the Boston Bruins? That pesky kid from the Swift Current Broncos. Yeah, he, well, he also drafted David Pasternak as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what, David Pasternak, look how he's panned out, so... Some real solid picks there. I heard a little bit of the, the last uh, text that you took in, and yeah, you know what I mean. I, I think Keith Gretzky would certainly be a great general manager. I think he's worked his way up to where he is right now, and it'll be interesting to see what the decision is by the Edmonton Oilers. But there's no question he definitely has to be a candidate. He's verbally said that he wants to be the general manager, yeah. and that'll be his goal moving forward is to continue and try and and become one in the National Hockey League. But he's uh, shown that he can be a a great scout. He's a good judge of talent. Uh, he's been an excellent assistant general manager, and you know what? He's going to uh, keep moving forward if he doesn't get the job in Edmonton. But I agree with you. I, I haven't heard anything that tells me that it's totally done. But 
we'll have to wait and see yeah, what decision I, I, they want here, to make. Here's the thing. Until Bob Nicholson says who the GM is, I'm not going to discount anybody. Yeah, you know? I'm not going to guess because right. I don't know. Right. So, and even if I did, Louie, I wouldn't tell anybody. So there you go. <laughs> I might tell you, Louie, but yeah. by the way, there is now there was a moment uh, at the press conference with Bob Nicholson and Keith Gretzky on Monday, Lou, which I think showed a lot of insight. Uh, uh, Jason asked a question about the, um, you know, I think he kind of hinted like, Keith, you know, you're involved a lot in the amateur side and the scouting side and building up the farm system, but what about the pro side of the organization? And instead of Keith deflecting criticism off of himself, he said, we as a group, meaning the hockey operation staff, made a couple moves, we were banged up on defense, and those trades didn't pan out. And to me, that revealed a lot about the character of the guy because, as you know, Louie, in this business, there's a lot of self-serving fellows out there. No, there is, but I I don't think Keith is one of them. I don't think moving forward that's the type of person they want to have in charge right, with right. the organization, in my opinion. I think that if you look at any successful company or any successful team in the National Hockey League, um, they rely heavily on their staff. You have to put the right people in the right positions to do the job the right way. Um, and, yeah, you're the one making those decisions. Somebody's making those decisions to put those people in those places, but then they have to do their respective jobs properly. And it's a group. Uh, it, it's never just one individual person. It's, it's, the, it's the process that you take to make these decisions because they're big decisions, and they, they impact the organization a lot. So... And obviously, Edmonton fans have seen what happens when those decisions aren't made correctly or don't pan out. Because, listen, at the time, they might be what seemed like the right choice, but then sometimes these choices just don't pan out. Sometimes they do. And you win some, you lose some. Edmonton has lost more than they've won. And that's, that's the key point is that they want to try and be on the other side of that scale, make sure that they're, they're making the essential good decisions moving forward for the organization. Um, to make sure they have a, a team that each year is competitive, and each year is fighting for a playoff spot, getting in there and fighting for a Stanley Cup. That's the goal yeah. of every organization. Um, but, yeah, no, I like that. And I think that Keith, you know, just in talking to him with him myself, he believes in a real strong staff. I mean, that's that's the, the background that he comes from. He, You know, people that he's worked with, people that he's learned from, that's what – builds a good, solid franchise, and, and that's what they're looking to try and do. All right. You are working a St. Louis-Winnipeg series, so I'm going to give you a stat. You ready for this? I'm ready. St. Louis Blues missed the point uh, the playoffs by how many points last year? Just a couple, right? One. One point. I believe it was one point, yeah. They made six significant changes to their lineup. There's a lesson. Yeah. There's a lesson, because the Oilers missed by double digits. Um, I would replace... You know, I would look at having six new forwards, maybe maybe a couple in the top six and maybe four in the bottom six, and maybe changing out a couple defensemen and definitely getting a better backup. And and I just look at St. Louis, and there was – I mean, this is how incredibly fickle a business is, Louie. On December the 18th, closing in on the winter freeze, there was a possibility they were going to be moving a guy like Bomeister. That's That's how far out of it they were. And, man, did they turn around, and, and their team just gelled, and they took off, didn't they? Not just Bowmeister. We went in there to do the game, Bob, and I talked to a few of the players, and, and there was multiple players that were hearing the rumors that they were potentially trade targets. Um, Braden Shen was one of them. Braden Shen, 
you know, his name was mentioned in a lot of different types of deals. Colton Pareko was another name that was mentioned. I talked to Colton yesterday, and he says, yeah, you know what, I, I heard the noise. You know, I heard the fact that my name was mentioned. He didn't get off to the greatest start. He struggled, but he's found his game. He's a young defenseman in the NHL. I think because he broke onto the scene so impactful at six foot six, and you know, looking like Ivan Drago out there, that you know people expected so much from him. But he settled into his game now. Um, but he's you know, and for everybody on that team, I think it was the best thing not to make the deals at the time. Um, you know, I, I just. You know, you look at that team, and on paper, going into the season this year, the St. Louis Blues, I thought they were going to be the team they are now. I really did. I Same didn't here. think they were going to have that drop-off that they had. Uh, coaching change seemed to really, um, you know, just, I, I don't want to say, Alex Petrangelo talked about it today, and he said it, there was a lot of character in the room. And obviously, when there's a coaching change that early in the season, it has an effect on the veteran players especially because they understand that they're responsible for that too. Like this is really them that are on the ice doing that. But uh, you know what? I, I think that you know Doug Armstrong, good on him. I think he maybe sniffed around a bit, maybe looked to see if there could be an opportunity to make a change to try and make something happen, but was content with what he saw, understood that this is a good group and wanted to see what they could do. And um, they pulled out of it. Craig Ruby's been great behind the bench and, you know, listen, in the game last night, I, I watching that game, I thought the Jets had control of that game. I thought the Blues came out a little bit more um, on cue early in the game, but then the Jets took it over for over a period and a half. But in the third period, you saw the St. Louis Blues team that went 8-1-1 and down the stretch into the playoffs and climbed from the bottom of the Central Division to the top briefly in the last game of the year and actually had that spot until Nashville and Winnipeg won their respective games. And you know that's that's been the, the resiliency of this team is incredible. They didn't go away. You know, I'm you know between the benches you get to hear and see a lot of that chatter and hear a lot of that, and you know just looking over at their bench, you could see the momentum building on their bench as the game went on. You know, both goaltenders were playing great. There wasn't really there wasn't a lot of chances, but there were some great A chances, some really good ones. There were some posts and bars hit, and. You know what? Eventually they got that shot from David Perron through a screen. And when they got that first goal, it was like they inflated and the Jets kind of deflated a little bit. Um, one period, won the game. All right. Well, just just for our listeners, so the Blues got Ryan O'Reilly from Buffalo. In the process, they, they dumped Sabotka and Berglund, and then Berglund terminated his deal for personal reasons, which bought Buffalo a huge break. They also got Tage Thompson that deal. But they got Ryan O'Reilly from Buffalo. They signed Tyler Bozak as a UFA. They signed uh, Patrick Maroon as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, they promoted um, Robert Thomas, who played last year for Stevie Stales in Hamilton, and then they brought David Perron back as well. So that is five of their top nine forwards, Louis, that they were not with the team a year ago. And the other I know thing- where you're going with this. I know where you're going, and we've talked about this, and I agree with you. I think it's five, six players. I yeah. look at the Edmonton Oilers, and that's the number in my head. Yeah. And, you know, if you look back in the day, even when they were winning Stanley Cups in Edmonton, I remember watching the boys in the bus, um, you know, documentary on the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, one say they like to shuffle things up. Back then, though, it was like that 10% of your team, 10, 50. Yeah. You know, but in a, in a team where you're really trying to make a difference and move in a different direction, I think it's 20, 25% of your team. 
in a 20-man roster, that's four or five players. All right, so there's another byproduct of what happened in St. Louis. Everybody points to Jordan Bennington, and sometimes organizations get just get lucky, Louie. This guy told players around the league that he knew that he was going to give it one more year in the minors and then he might shut it down if it didn't work out. And he wasn't even supposed to be St. Louis's first call-up. Uh, but there was an injury with one of their other goaltending prospects. He went 24-5-1 and in the regular season with a 9.27 save percentage and a 1.89 goals against average. I don't think for a second Doug Armstrong believed he was going to get that from Jordan Biddington. Did you? I don't. I think he even admitted he didn't. He said that if he would have known he was going to get this from him two years ago, he would have been up with the Blues two years ago. But listen, that's a prime example of sometimes guys aren't just ready, and and you you don't necessarily see them in a certain light. I mean, he had decent numbers. You know, I look at his numbers over the course of his career, and I was trying to scratch my head and figure out how he made such an excellent jump as well. It's no different than a player, no different than a defenseman or a forward that has an excellent junior career. Um, is a highly touted prospect but falters coming into the National Hockey League at the next level. And there's those kids that have an average junior year, a decent American Hockey League career or start, and when they jump to the NHL, the light just goes on for them. They're, they have the ability to play at that highest level. And Jordan Bennington is that guy. There's no question. This, this, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a demeanor on a goaltender. Now, listen, he's not, he's young and in perspective of the game for goalies, especially at 25 years old, you know, getting his opportunity, but he is so calm. His demeanor is just absolutely, nothing seems to really rattle him. Uh, you you listen to his conversations and it was a famous quote for him. You know, when he looked at the reporter and said, do I look nervous? And I mean, that guy should win a, an Academy Award for acting if he, if he wasn't nervous, because I'll tell you what, he was just stone faced when he said that. Uh, it was unbelievable, but that goes to show you the type of calmness and and flatline that he can play with, which I think bodes so well for a goaltender. He's so focused, he's isolated in the game. Um, I was impressed. He made some really big saves last night, I, and I thought maybe the playoff atmosphere, the intensity, the whiteout in Winnipeg, I thought all of that would certainly play a factor in favor of the Winnipeg Jets. Early, I think it did, but not in the case of Jordan Bennington. He's the one that kept them in that game for the first two periods and didn't allow them to get that next one that I think would have been crucial for the Jets and allow this team to get back into the game and win it. Well, there was another thing that St. Louis did involving Larry Robinson. Larry Big came, time. Big time. Yeah, you want to explain time. that to our listeners? Well, you know what? They brought him in. He came down the bench for a few weeks, and he started working with the defensemen. And um, They did some tweaking on their back end to kind of change some pairings up and make sure that they – they wanted to get the best, and the biggest change they made was putting Bolmeister with Pareko, allowing Petrangelo to have the top line um, minutes as an offensive, more offensive defense, and allow him to roam a little bit more, not be so defensive. Bolmeister, though, finding his game under, you know, those conditions with Pareko, those two guys, their wingspans, their reach, their size, just allowed them to be a real good shutdown pairing, and they relished in that role, and you know. You know, Robinson came in, and, and for him, it was just the little tiny details of the game. It was the details of the game, and from what I understand, it was the sticks. He was he was really really adamant about preaching stick positioning, um, pucks on uh, sticks on pucks for for such a big group. I mean, five of their six guys are over six foot three, so they have a long reach in the back end. They can defend well by reaching, and you don't have to necessarily be overly physical until it's time to be overly physical. And if you look at Larry Robinson, that's exactly how he played. He was a big, lanky guy that had a great stick. When he needed to, he could step up and punish you with a huge hit. 
But more often than not, he just wanted to take the puck from you. And we saw what Edmondson and the St. Louis Blues did in the one game versus Connor McDavid, who I think is the best one-on-one in the National Hockey League yeah. with his speed. Um, they didn't try and play him physically. They, they played the stick. They played the yeah. puck more. Um, at the same time, keeping body positioning. You know, so I'm not saying just strictly puck watching and going for pucks, but that's what the game's all about. You're trying to get the puck back. So your attack has to be on body, but stick focused on puck. And it's been a big difference for them. They've really buckled down in the defensive zone, which I think bodes well with a young Jordan Bennington coming in for his first real strong kick at the can of the national. He got his first start this year at 25 years of age and had a shadow in that start. So um, this team's buckled down defensively, which has helped them climb from where they were after the coaching change to Mike Hill and where they are now. We're joined by Louis DeBrus, Bob Stauffer with you. Louis, I don't know if this is how awkward this is for you to do, but because uh, your son's playing for Boston. But frankly, I got to be, I, I got to ask you about the two uh, Canadian teams that are playing tonight Boston mm-hmm. hosting the Maple Leafs. I, I mean, they went seven games last year. Cottery was suspended, and the Leafs didn't have Tavares. To me, th- this is, th- I, I know a lot of people think Boston's been unbelievable in the second half. But this is going to be a heck of a series, I think. I don't think, like, oh. there, there's some people that think Boston's going to win this thing in four or five. I'm like, how? There is no way <laughs> I'm, that I'm is I'm not that. one of them, Bob. I'm not one of You're them. You're not one of them. I mean, if that was to happen, I'd be okay with that. Yes. Can I tell you the truth, <laughs> Louie? Yeah, Louie, if that happened, I'd be okay with it. And I've picked the Maple Leafs. But I would be okay. <laughs> but, but you know what? Um, I understand that. And I think, you know, people watching this Toronto team from the hockey world perspective, understand they have a lot of firepower over there listen their weakness potentially from my viewpoint anyway is their is defending it is what they've always had to struggle with they they can outscore a lot of their issues though and if you allow them to play that way look out you're in trouble i think the bruins match up well against toronto i will say that like when i watch it i think the matchup is good because of the style that boston plays but in saying that the maple Leafs have made some teams look really foolish over the course of this year they've also let some leads go they've also not been able to outscore their mistakes and goaltending is a question mark as well too which it is in every single series so but when i look at this i don't expect this to be an easy out for anybody i think it's going to be a battle and they have the history from last year which i think i really don't know if people put enough credit in that or put enough emphasis on the fact that when teams play one another in back-to-back playoff series like this it's like that Bad blood carries over. Like, look at the San Jose Vegas. Every single whistle, there was pushes and shoves yep. and chippiness. And it's just, there's a nastiness to the series because somebody lost the year before, and that somebody is a Toronto Maple Leaf. So I'm telling you, they're coming into this year going, hey, that's not going to happen again this year. We're going to make sure it doesn't happen. They're going to have the chip on their shoulder. And for the Boston Bruins to be successful again, they're going to have to make sure they match and go above that intensity because the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to bring it. I have no doubt they will. And I think the Bruins are going to bring it too. But that makes great hockey. That makes the best series of all when you have that bad blood and you have that history that carries over, and uh, especially in years, successive years, like San Jose, Vegas, and now Toronto, Boston. Louis, does Colorado have a chance against Calgary? Absolutely, they have a chance. You know, I think that that's the best thing about the first round. It's the best round aside from the final, which, you know, obviously by the time they get there, it's the final. So to me, that's that's what it's all about. But 
first round for me is always the most volatile. I mean, look what happened last night. You saw leads get evaporated in multiple games. It was like, you know, you can't hold on to leads. Crazy things happen. The Columbus Blue Jackets come out and erase a three-goal deficit from the Tampa Bay Lightning, which I don't know if it happened all regular season. It was, you know, they just they didn't give up because this is it. You know, your 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 seasons are on the line. So every single team has an absolute chance to win the series. And anybody who says they don't, then you just haven't watched enough hockey. I'm sorry, like that. It, crazy things happen. There's every single year. There's a Cinderella story every single year. So who's that team going to be? Who's the team that's going to come in and knock off a giant in the first round? Who's that team that's going to go on a real run for two months or a month and a half? Um, I don't know who that team's going to be, but there will be one, and there will be some upsets. And that's that's the beauty of the first round. I think the Flames match up well against the Avalanche. I think that that's a team, you know, that for them they look at and say we can we can go head to head with them. Um, but if they're not on the raid game, if they're not playing the way they played during the regular season, they're going to be in trouble because there's some firepower again over there on the avalanche that can make you pay in a hurry. That top line with Rantanen coming back and McKinnon, Landeskog, they, they've got some good young players there too. They have a big defense. That's the one thing too. They do have a big defense. Um, you're going to have to make them move. going to have to make them turn, make them defend, make them go back. Um, try and get on the power play a little more often by making them draw penalties. I mean, that, that to me seems to be what the game plan would be for, for the Flames to really make sure that they're grounding and pounding down low. And then again, the question mark is goaltending. Yeah. Gibbauer's gone in there for the Avalanche and done a terrific job down the stretch to take the job away um, from Varlamov. But Varlamov got to start again. And, and you know what? That, that, that's always a question mark, though. Um, going into any playoff series is that who's going to get the better goaltending, and typically that's the team that wins. All right, Louie, one final question. If you could just give us like a 30-second answer. You're at ice level. What was the – I mean, I'm way up top uh, doing the Calgary Oilers game the other night. Could you feel the air come out of the building when McDavid crashed into Lynette? Oh, I thought you were going to go different. I thought you were talking about Patrick Maroon beaking the bench before the second period started. They didn't have to literally – push him off the ice because he wasn't going to leave before it started. But yeah, for sure. I, I did see it uh, deflate. Yeah. Know, I could see it. I think everybody was concerned. And uh, you talk to the Flames, you talk to the Oilers, everybody's concerned. Any player, but especially the best player in the game goes down like that. And he doesn't get up and he goes off the ice the way that he did. Um, no question that game took a turn. And not for the better. It took a turn where guys were like, okay, I don't necessarily, if you're the Flames, are saying we don't want to have that happen to one of our guys going into the playoffs. And the Oilers were, you know, obviously very um, worried about their best player and their captain. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it happens. Nobody wants to see anybody go down an injury like that. I don't care who you are. And uh, it had a major effect on the game. All right. Louis, great stuff. Uh, try to stay out of trouble in Winnipeg. I will. All right. Take care, Louis. From NHL Hockey and Rogers, that's Louis DeBrusque. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.